Hi everyone, this is your host, Julia Glotz. Welcome back to eFundamentals Digital Shelfcast, where we discuss how growth-driven CPGs can win in e-commerce at speed and scale. Every episode, I'm speaking with industry experts about the latest trends and challenges on the digital shelf and how you can accelerate your growth online. Make sure you subscribe today so you don't miss out on any of our inside-packed episodes. Thanks for spending time with me today. Let's jump straight in. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Digital Shelfcast. It's great to have you with us. According to a recent survey by the Path to Purchase Institute, 53% of shopper marketing teams report into marketing, and 33% report into sales. What's more, 65% of shopper marketing teams are responsible for e-commerce in their organizations. It all goes to show that for a relatively mature discipline in CPG, shopper marketing and insights is still experiencing a surprisingly large amount of growing pain. It's still in many cases struggling to find its identity and its rightful place within organisations. In fact, that same survey highlighted that despite many commonalities, no shopper marketing role is structured the same. Now, that's a source of huge frustration for shopper marketing and insights professionals who often feel their discipline remains misunderstood. And it's also a source of inefficiency and lost opportunities for CPGs because they're not making the most of what shopper marketing and insights has to offer. So how do we change this? That's what we're talking about in this episode. We will be breaking down the key pillars of shopper marketing and insights to explore how CPGs can build and activate their brands on the digital shelf as effectively as possible. And to do this, I'm pleased to say we're joined by a fantastic shopper marketing and insights expert. Efrain Rosario is global head of futures shopper planning at Diageo and also host of a new podcast called the FMCG Guys. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Julia. It's great to be with you today. Now, before we jump into our discussion about shopper marketing and insights, I wanted to delve a little bit into your own online shopping habits. Tell me about the last item you bought online and what that experience was like. That's a, it's a great question. It certainly helps put us into the right mindset from a shopper and consumer perspective. The last item I bought online was a pair of soccer cleats or football cleats for my daughter. And I bought them from a small specialty retailer, actually outside of the country where we live. So it was quite an interesting experience. Was there anything in particular about that experience that made it so interesting? Well, what's interesting to me about the experience overall is, is that I, I think I am going through a process that many, many people go through when buying online, which is that, unfortunately, the, the cleats didn't work out. So I'm now actually going through the returns part of that process as well. And that's, you know, oftentimes where I think things can get a little bit more, less straightforward, a little bit more difficult from a shopper perspective, because, you know, that is one thing that obviously is always in the back of our minds in regards to when we buy something online, particularly for non-perishables. What happens if I don't like it? How do I return it? Am I able to do that in a physical store if there's one near me, or do I have to do it online? And, and you know, throw on top of that, I'm dealing with cross-country commerce as well. So it's all going to work itself out, but it hasn't been the smoothest process or journey, let's put it that way, from my standpoint. 
Yeah, God, I'm sorry to hear that. It's interesting, actually, that you mentioned returns because that's become a much more prominent discussion point in the industry recently as well. And whether we're going to see free returns as standard moving forward or whether various brands and retailers are going to move to slightly different models on that as well. So, yeah, certainly an interesting area to keep an eye on. I'm going to bring you into all things shopper marketing and insights now, though, because in the intro, I mentioned that the growing pains of shopper marketing and insights as a discipline sort of quite surprising given how well established that field is. You recently joined Diageo as Global Head of Futures Shopper Planning, so you're right in the middle of that debate. I wonder if you could just start us off in our discussion by providing a little bit of clarity by defining how you see shopper marketing and insights. How would you define that discipline? I'm happy to give my point of view or my perspective in regards to how we're thinking about it. I think here at Diageo, we tend to think of shopper marketing as the the process by which we create and activate experiences that help our consumers discover, buy, and ultimately enjoy our brands. And what I what I would say that's unique about that is that I think it, it, it has evolved. And I think that's true for a lot of companies as well in regards to how we think about shopper marketing and how we've really have, in essence, expanded the definition to really think about all phases of the traditional funnel, if you will, in terms of not just people when they're exclusively in the shopping mindset, but also in terms of when they're discovering our brands as well. So I can empathize and I definitely have felt some of the frustrations in regards to trying to nail down one specific definition for shopper marketing. As I said, this is what how we're thinking about it here. And that's, in essence, what's driving our efforts going forward. Where would you draw the line between shopper marketing and insights versus brand marketing? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think, again, it's a it's a bit of a moving target, if you will, as I do feel that the traditional differences between those two fields have um, has started to fade a bit as things have started to come back together. I think traditionally when we thought about shower marketing, we tended to focus on the path to purchase or let's say more of the bottom of the funnel commercial activities that were very much tuned into driving conversion, whereas brand marketing or consumer marketing focuses more on the brand building tactics. That being said, as I mentioned, I think that fine line between the two functions is starting to fade a bit, particularly as we start to think about more of an omni-channel approach and really think and look across the entire funnel or journey, if you will, as we devi- as we define experiences. I'm interested that you mentioned the role of sort of omni-channel thinking and all of this, because I was just about to ask you what you felt was sort of driving some of those changes. Is it largely the growing importance of, of an omni-channel first approach or have there been other developments that have really started to dissolve some of those traditional lines between brand and shopper marketing? I think first and foremost, it, it is in essence following our consumer's lead. So I think as consumers and shoppers have thought about their purchase decision process and looked at it in a more omni-channel sort of way, as opposed to focusing exclusively on purchasing through one single channel. I think we as brands and manufacturers have had to, in essence, evolve how we best connect and engage with consumers and shoppers as well. So I think that's been, in my mind, the, the key driver. But I can also imagine that there have been certain organizational changes that have happened with regards to how we think about the marketing function overall as well that have had an effect 
in that as well, where we've had people who've also, in essence, had become responsible for both consumer and shopper marketing and double-hatting it, if you will, within their organizations. But, but I do feel, like I said, first and foremost, that the following our consumers' leads has been the, the key driver in all of this. Take us a little bit behind the scenes at Diageo then. Where does shopper marketing and insights sit within the wider Diageo structure and organization? And what does your team look like? So my team is part of our planning function. So we have responsibility for, let's call it, uh, more of the insights and the strategic planning elements from a shopper perspective, whereas we also have teams that sit in our uh, commercial teams that have responsibility for more of the activation at the point of sale from a shopper marketing perspective. And, you know, not to be glue about it, but I think the answer depends. So I think Mm -hmm. that definition may vary from one market to another. But I think generally speaking, that's the way that we're structured. And in some ways, it's very similar to my experience at other CPGs as well. And again, I was I was just about to ask you about how that differs or perhaps is is similar to, to other CPGs. Is that very much what you see across the market more generally, that that is how these teams tend to be situated now and how they tend to be structured? Or are there alternative approaches that you think are potentially worth looking at as well from, from that structural and organizational point of view? That's a great question. And I think that, you know, where shopper marketing as a function sits has evolved over time. Both the companies that I've worked with, but also what I've seen from a marketplace perspective. Um, But I think because of the fact that we do see it shift between commercial and marketing fairly regularly over time, I think what that demonstrates to me ultimately is one of the beauties of Shopper is that it really does help make that connection between those two in terms of really connecting commerce and brand building for the organization. So that to me is why I think Shopper can in essence, reside both in commercial and in marketing functions and be effective whichever place it happens to sit because what our responsibility as members of our organizations is ultimately to create those connections between commercial and marketing. So we can play in both. Fantastic. Now, the past two years have been incredibly busy, not just for CPG, but uh, for the world in general. But there have obviously been some really significant changes around shopper behavior in CPG specifically. And so I'm really keen to get your perspective on some of those changes and how they in turn have influenced uh, shopper marketing and insights. If you had to sort of sum up, I I suppose, in, in three words, some of the most significant shopper behavior changes that you've seen over that period, what three changes would stand out to you? So I think first and foremost, the one that comes to mind for me is willingness to try. I think over the past two years, you know, we've seen the exaggerated proclamation of the death and then ultimately the revival of physical retail. And we've also seen the acceleration of pre-existing trends like e-commerce, but other things as well. And while I think some of those changes have swung back to pre-COVID levels, what's really interesting for me is that we do find that shoppers were more open to trying new brands, new retailers, new channels during the pandemic. And while some things have shifted back, in some cases, some of the, those, those new brands and retailers and channels that consumers tried have ultimately become habit 
for them. So that's something that they continue to use post-pandemic as well. The other thing that comes to mind for me is what I would say, what I would classify or define as data fluency, which is that I think that not just from a brand and retailer standpoint, but also I think from a consumer standpoint, generally speaking, I think overall we've become more savvy with regards to understanding the importance of our personal data as consumers and shoppers and the value that that represents. So, you know, things like GDPR, but ultimately, and some of the things we've seen in the U.S. as well, I think have started to educate consumers and shoppers with regards to, again, the value of their own personal data. And I think in turn, we as as brands and retailers who ultimately service these shoppers and consumers have to be aware of that and respectful of that. So, you know, making sure that we operate in the most respectful sort of way when it comes to data. I guess the third thing that comes to mind for me is, is that, you know, one of the things that I've noticed over time has been the elevated influence of purpose, brand purpose, with regards to purchase decisions. So I think that, you know, what a brand stands for in regards to its own values and how it chooses to operate in terms of making sure that they're de- we're creating value not just for the individual or the, the entity, but also for the world and the community around us. I think we're starting to see that that, albeit not at the same levels as some of the more traditional factors, I think has elevated in terms of consumers and shoppers' mindset when they're buying, when they're considering and buying new products. I'm super interested in what you were just saying about purpose, but also that willingness to try things that you mentioned right at the start. We're obviously now largely out of that COVID period, but at the same time, we've sort of gone straight into the next crisis. You know, many markets, many parts of the world, there's a real cost of living crisis. Inflation is a real concern. Soaring production costs are a real concern. To what extent would you expect growing price sensitivity to affect A, shopper willingness to try new things, to try new brands and new products, and B, how would you expect that to affect the value shoppers place on purpose? So it's interesting you bring that up, is that um, I recently read a study that talked about how purpose or sustainability, social impact, social activism, those kinds of things have um, ultimately taken a bit of a reduced role with some of the economic uncertainty that you mentioned that's taking place in some of the markets, particularly here in Europe. More generally, though, I think, you know, consumers and shoppers um, under these conditions, if we look historically at what has happened in prior recessions, they will ultimately react in either in a very offensive or defensive ways in terms of understanding, are they looking for opportunities to, in essence, reduce indulgences to try to optimize or to increase their savings, while at the same time looking for those small pleasures in their everyday life to get through the hard times. So I think we will find that consumers will get creative with regards to how they balance those two things. So in some cases or some some categories or some occasions, they will look to ultimately trade down with regards to trying to increase their savings, while at the same time in other places they will look for those special moments to really ultimately celebrate. And like I said, get through the harder times, given that, you know, again, we may have to make sacrifices in other areas. So I think consumers and again, brands and retailers have to figure out what is that balance in terms of both providing 
celebration or moments of escape, while at the same time helping consumers to optimize their savings as well. Absolutely. Now, I want to take you back to the three big changes that you identified. Um, As a result of these changes, what is different today for Shopper Marketing and Insights compared with, say, two years ago? How have priorities shifted? From my standpoint, more than thinking about the, the what, the specific priorities that have changed, because I do feel like in some cases um, the priority that we give to certain channels or to certain brands or products within our portfolio has obviously shifted to reflect some of these changes that we're seeing from a consumer and shop habit standpoint. I think more than that, or I guess more interesting to me is understanding that we as, as marketers have had to become more agile. So we've had to adapt how we work as well. So my observation is, is that for the function, I think it's ultimately just that, which is we've had to really think about how we can become more agile and more flexible with regards to being able to respond to some of those changes from a consumer and shopping habit perspective and adapt some of our internal workings in regards to how we move faster or more effectively. And what has that looked like for you personally and and your team? How have you grappled with that challenge around greater agility? So for me personally, um, and I think some of this is influenced by the fact that I've spent several years in the startup ecosystem in addition to having worked at CPGs. But I think for me personally, it's made me much more open and willing to experiment with Mm. new data sources. So really thinking about how do we, in essence, complement some of the more traditional analytics and insights work that we do with, in essence, having more of a test and learn approach with regards to thinking about, are there other places that we can try to leverage to learn more about our consumers and shoppers? It's super interesting. How has your message to your team changed around analytics, metrics and tools? Are you telling them to or encouraging them to focus on slightly different metrics that they perhaps wouldn't have looked at previously? Are you encouraging them to upskill in certain areas or to just change their perspective a little bit around that whole analytics and metrics piece? So I'm still fairly new to the organization. So I think just by that nature alone, I will tend to bring, let's say, new thinking mm-hmm. with regards to some of the metrics that we explore based on what I've seen and done in the past. So for me, I think it's, it's in essence, how do we find the balance between some of the, the, the things that we've looked at or the, the metrics that we've tracked on an ongoing basis, but being able to, again, complement those with some some new ways. And, and in some cases, actually, it's not even new data sources. It's just looking at the data that we've already, we already have mm. at our disposal and just analyzing it in a slightly different way. So, you know, looking at it through a shopper lens, for example, for as, as, composed, as opposed to or as compared to a consumer lens or thinking about how could we, in essence, use this same data to really think about mapping the consumer and shopper journey in an omni-channel sort of way. So oftentimes it's, it's not so much about reinventing the wheel or, in essence, as we would say in the U.S., throwing the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> 
um, but it's really more about how we can take the best of what already exists and just make it that much better by looking at it through a slightly different lens. Totally. You've once again touched on the importance of that omni-channel first approach, that kind of omni-channel thinking that you need to bring to everything you do around shopper marketing and insights. Could you perhaps spell out why that is so important? So I think it goes back to what I said at the beginning, which is that I think we have to follow our consumer's lead in that regard, in that I think if you think about how consumers shop in today's world, I think we would be hard-pressed to find too many examples of shoppers that shop exclusively through one specific channel. And that's not just even thinking about everything they buy, but even thinking about one particular purchase. I mean, if you think about the fact that in some cases you are exposed to uh, messages outside of the store, but you may ultimately choose to fulfill and buy that item in store, that happens pretty much to everyone. I mean, I certainly feel like I'm most of the time falling into that category. And I think the same holds true the other way around as well, which is also thinking about sometimes we can think of the, the physical store as a showroom where we, in essence, discover and sometimes help to research or consider or limit our, let's say, narrow our consideration set with regards to what we choose to buy, but ultimately may choose to then fulfill that purchase online for simplicity of delivery or because, um, you know, time has passed, whatever it may be. So I think to me, it really goes back to, again, thinking about consumers and shoppers today and also not just today, but also looking ahead five, 10 years and where things ultimately will go in terms of the continued uh, expansion of digital commerce. And then really thinking about what does this mean ultimately from a virtual commerce standpoint down the road as well. So um, so I really, again, again, it just starts with the consumer and also f- and following their lead. Hey, while we're taking a quick break, Chloe from eFundamentals has got something we wanted to tell you. Here's a question for you. Are you drowning in data about your e-commerce performance, but not sure what to do with it? Do you really know what's impacting your online sales growth across major retailers? If you've answered yes, you need to check out eFundamentals right now. They provide you with all the digital shelf analytics you need to achieve e-commerce success at speed and scale. eFundamentals takes everything that is fundamentally important to driving e-commerce performance and displays it in one easy-to-use platform that breaks down the key performance areas that help you and your team stay totally focused. Combined with industry-leading human insights from experienced CPGs, our customer success team get you up and running quickly with no setup costs and act as your partner to unlock repeatable growth year after year. Plus, it gives you a full category view so you can benchmark your category performance across retailers and see immediately when your competitors make a move, empowering your frontline teams to act with a level of category intelligence no other platform can offer. It's no surprise, clients see an average ROI of 12 times using their service. After all, eFundamentals was built by experienced CPGs who know exactly what's needed to drive performance today. Head to eFundamentals.com slash podcast today and see it in action for yourself. Trust me, you need eFundamentals. It's really useful to hear you articulate this. And one of the things that I find really fascinating whenever we look at these sorts of topics and particularly look at uh, some of the, the changes around consumer purchase 
behavior in recent years is that I think there's a broad recognition that omni-channel really is key and taking that omni-channel first approach is key. But there still appears to be a gap, I think, sometimes between having that insight and then actually implementing that in practice and having an organizational structure that is set up to harness omni-channel insights and actually look at the shopper in the round. What's the most common reason that that gap appears, do you think? Why do CPD organizations sometimes find it difficult to act on the inside that omni-channel first is important? So I think there's two things. I think one is oftentimes we can take what can be very simple and make it overly complex. And I'm not speaking specifically about us at Diageo, I think mm. just generally as as working professionals, we can tend to do that. So I'm a big fan of simplicity. So part of it, the challenge I think has been, how do we effectively distill something that can be very, very complex in terms of understanding all the things that could impact how consumers discover, consider, and ultimately buy certain products and distilling it down into understanding what is the the core essential piece of what I need to go do. And I think, you know, to be more specific about it, one of the things that I've been looking at recently has been how do we more effectively start to prioritize the moments or the touch points on the consumer and shopper journey that are most impactful in terms of being able to engage with consumers, whether it be in terms of helping them understand what our brands are all about, or whether it be in terms of helping them, in essence, make a choice as to whether or not, you know, what brand they're going to choose to buy and consume. So helping to prioritize those in terms of impact, whether that be um, uh, exposure or scale, or whether that be based on conversion power, I think to me is one of the things that we're trying to to bring in terms of helping us to really take, like I said, something that can be very, very complex and making it simple in regards to giving clear direction to our commercial teams in terms of what we should then go action. So that I think to me is the the big one that um, is top of mind for right now. And in terms of those consumer touch points that you've just alluded to, Where do things like product pages and content feature in terms of priorities? How important are they in uh, in that shopper buying journey, and how can they help brands bring strategy to life? You know, I think it's a it's a it's a great call out for one of the things that I referenced earlier, which is that we know from research, and I think also from personal experience, that increasingly people are using the online channel and specifically product pages to ultimately research and in essence narrow their considerations that before they ever set foot into a physical store if they ultimately then choose to buy from another channel as well. So I think to me the role of product pages is very similar to the way that I think about um, physical touch points in an actual store as well. And that ultimately I think we have to understand what is the role the product page in regards to is it to help people understand or to educate them on 
the, the category that they're buying or the specific brand or product? Or is it ultimately to help them, in essence, with giving them just the very essential items or pieces of information that they need to make a purchase decision? And I think what's interesting about the product page is that you kind of see both of those at play. And there's different elements within the product page that do those effectively. So for us as marketers, it's really in terms of understanding that role of that touch point in the journey and thinking about how to best utilize that in unison with other touch points that on the journey as well. So I think for me, it's not about the, I like to think of the product page, not so much as an isolated item, but thinking how does it work most effectively with some of the other touch points that where we engage with consumers as well. Let's look a little bit to the future then and to what's next for shopper marketing and insights. We've reflected on some of the challenges over the past couple of years. What are the big trends that you think will shape shopper marketing and insights in the coming years? What are you keeping a very close eye on? So I think it's a couple of the things that that we mentioned earlier. One is, I think, the increased influence of purpose, of brand purpose and purchase decisions. So really thinking about what is the role of sustainability, social activism, local community, in regards to influencing what products people choose to buy. I think it's also really interesting for us to think about the blurring of physical, digital, and virtual venues. And what does that represent in regards to the shift in consumption occasions for your category? And then lastly, I would say that in response to, I think, we, I think generally speaking, consumers have raised their expectations around the experience that certain products or certain categories tend to provide. And I think as a result of that, a lot of us have been, have been thinking about, does the, the let's say the, the space or the, the benefits that our products provide, and do those need to expand as well to in essence reflect the, the raised expectations from consumers for our categories? I'm interested that you talked about digital and virtual experiences a moment ago. How important do you think Web3 technology in various forms is going to be from a shopper marketing and insights perspective in the future? And how would you recommend shopper marketing and insights professionals approach topics like, say, the metaverse in a way so that they're sort of understanding the opportunity, um, but at the same time not spending too much time perhaps on something that's still relatively emerging? So it's a great question. And what I would say is, is that I think that we do have to, in essence, adopt experimentation mindset with regards to some of these things. So we have to look for opportunities to test and learn. That being said, I think that whatever framework your respective company uses in regards to whether it be shopper profiles, specific consumption occasions, or whether it be shopping missions. I think taking those elements and using those to, in essence, kind of hone in on what are those test grounds for your product or for your category that I think are most relevant, as opposed to just saying, I'm going to go try NFTs or I'm going to do something in Web3. Mm-hmm. I think using your existing frameworks to, in essence, kind of help, in essence, give context around areas for experimentation, I think is is what I would recommend in terms of the way to go. And are there any exciting initiatives uh, that you're working on at Diageo that you can share that are sort of coming coming up over the next few months or years? So I'm personally really excited about the continued expansion of our D2C platform, thebar.com, both in terms of 
the, the added value that I think it can bring to our consumers and shoppers by helping them being able to ultimately find those moments of celebration throughout their day, throughout their routines, but also in terms of some of how we can leverage the learnings from the bar and being able to use them to not just how we are more effective on the bar.com itself, but also in other channels as well. And when you're looking ahead to the next three to five years, what are you focusing on today to set your team up for long-term success on the digital shelf? Is there anything in particular that you're making sure you're laying the groundwork for today because you think it's going to be particularly important tomorrow? I think for me, and I, I, I know that a lot of my colleagues here um, share in this belief as well, data fluency is super important and being able to do it in a very responsible, effective way with our consumers is, is critical for everybody in the organization, whether you happen to be in a planning or insights function or whether you happen to be in marketing or commercial. I think we all have to develop some level of data fluency in terms of being able to really think about how we operate, not just today, but as you said, looking ahead five, 10 years. And how do you approach that upskilling around data fluency? Is that something that you do yourself or that you, you sort of uh, do within your teams or do you typically bring in external partners to help you with that? So I think it's a, I think it's definitely a little bit of both. So I think that leveraging some of the internal expertise that we have around data, I think is one avenue that I would encourage people to explore at your respective companies. But I think, you know, it's also... And I, I referenced this earlier, but experimenting and kind of playing on the edges, if you will, with regards to looking to learn from external as well, uh, externally as well. So I think leveraging uh, some of the partners that you have in terms of some of the expertise that they can bring and using that to, let's say, upskill not just the teams that they may directly interact with on a regular basis, but really thinking about how can you extend that to some of the other teams as well in an effective, in, in an efficient sort of way, but also just getting out there, whether it be in terms of going to events or talking to interesting companies that aren't in your specific industry or startups that you think are doing some really cool stuff. I think all of those things um, are just great fodder and great food for thought in regards to, in essence, upskilling in a, let's call it, non-classroom sort of way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and I think that's so important, isn't it? Because, as you say, that, that sort of style of learning isn't uh, doesn't suit everyone. Uh, so there's an opportunity to, to reach a wider set of people if yeah. you look beyond some of that sort of classroom, that traditional classroom style approach. And and I would just say one thing, sorry, sorry, Julie, just one other thing to add to that is that I think that, you know, some of this is learning by doing as well. So I think mm. looking for opportunities to, in essence, you know, look for projects where you may be able to ultimately do a new gig around a subject that, you know, like data that you may not be doing, uh, that may not be part of your regular day-to-day job, but it's something that you're keenly interested in. I know that we offer that as a uh, as something for our employees here at Diageo to, in essence, be able to explore as well. So, you know, look for those kinds of things at your companies as well. And if they don't exist, maybe think about how you can create something like that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's a super interesting approach. And I guess data fluency is important within retailers as well. All of your retailer partners will be looking at upskilling around data fluency in the same way that, that many CPG organisations are. Do you see growing opportunity, therefore, for brands and retailers to collaborate a little bit more around shopper data and insights and, and yeah, just generally work a little bit more collaboratively around data? I think that just through the nature of having new media and new platforms that's available to to brands and retailers, that's going to present new opportunity. But I think the underlying elements with regards to how to make that kind of collaborative relationship work in terms of thinking about the combination of shopper and point of sale understanding that comes from the retailers, combining that with a really, really deep knowledge of consumer attitudes and behaviors and cultural relevance. I think that combination to me is going to be something that is applicable, not just for, let's call it more of the traditional um, collaborations that we've done across brands and retailers, but also in terms of some of these new platforms that are popping up. Fantastic. Now we're nearly out of time, but before I let you go, I did want to talk a little bit about your exciting new podcast. Your new podcast is called The FMCG Guys, and it's uh, being launched in partnership with The CPG Guys, which my listeners will be very familiar with, very close friends of this podcast as well. Tell us a little bit about The FMCG Guys podcast and where people can find it. Thank you for uh, for the kind mention. And like you said, yes, we are uh, working with our friends, Peter and Sri and the CPG guys, bringing um, some of the same great thinking and thought leadership to our European audience as well. Um, people who want to find out more about us can uh, check out our LinkedIn page under the FMCG guys. And they're also welcome to and actually encouraged to follow up with either Daniel or myself personally, if they've got any topics that they would like us to cover, or just in general, just want to tell us what they like and what we think you know could be even better in future episodes. So definitely check out our LinkedIn page, FMCG guys, and uh, we'd love to hear from you all. Fantastic. Now, as you know, we like to finish our episodes by giving our listeners one essential piece of advice on our experts' area of expertise. So what is your one essential piece of advice for our listeners on how shopper marketers and insights professionals can win on the digital shelf? I would say, and this is something that I've actually shared with students in classes that I've taught and just in general whenever I I meet somebody, and it's something that I hold near and dear for myself as well. It's to stay constantly curious, because I think that leads to some of the things that I've mentioned earlier, which is exploring the edges of consumer, shopper, and culture to find out what's next. And I think then, then that ultimately then ultimately will lead to thinking about what are ways for me to experiment with new techniques, tools, ways of working. And to me, that mindset of experimenting and curiosity is what's going to be really critical in terms of defining the modern marketer. Fantastic. Stay curious. I think that's a great way to end our podcast. Efrain, thank you so much for coming on the show and for a great conversation. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks, Julia. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Digital Shelfcast from eFundamentals. We hope you enjoyed the discussion and got some useful tips for how to navigate your brand's success on the digital shelf. If you're facing a particular challenge online, or you want to learn more about how to leverage digital shelf analytics to drive e-commerce growth at speed and scale, then why not book a free consultation with the eFundamentals team? 
simply visit www.efundamentals.com forward slash podcast and book your free consultation. You'll also find the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed the show, we'd also appreciate it if you could give us a rating and leave a review. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.